Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. It's so amazing that we are once again together because uh, it seems like just yesterday we were together and now here we are again and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great day. Uh, I love being able to stand on the shoulders of giants, which is what I get to do here at Faith Radio because the giant I'm referring to is Susie Larson, who used to do the afternoon show for years and years and now she is uh, conveniently at three o'clock central time and uh, but she used to be in this time slot and she is uh, in studio with me today talking about her new book called prevail so i'd like to welcome to the program the always great never less than sensational susie larson wow bill i don't know what to say (laughs) Uh, i don't even know how much of that's sincere but i'll just take it okay good so (laughs) i looked up the word prevail which is the name of your new book Mm -hmm. and i went right to the dictionary and it said prove more powerful than opposing forces yeah be victorious and to be the last one standing be the last one standing say more about that i like that yeah you know it's amazing to me is that that title was assigned to the book a year ago before we ever knew what 2020 would be like to prove more powerful than your opponent and to be the last one standing and for those who know my story you know there's been a lot of um there's a lot of fight language so to speak in my books just because i've had to contend for the promises of god nothing's really come too easily uh, to me. This book, Prevail, I searched the whole arc of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and I looked for evidences and opportunities to flourish and stand strong. In other words, stories that we can learn from because they did it right, or opportunities where they did it wrong, that mm-hmm. we can learn from them. And and you can either go, you know, chronologically, Genesis to Revelation, or you can do it by topic, but I, hoping that it shoots some kind of fire in your belly and some strength in your heart. Mm-hmm. The enemy uses the same predictable tactics. Most of the time it's discouragement and fear, isn't it? Indeed it is. Absolutely. And that will be trying to keep you from having uh, doing God's work and being all that God wants you to be. Yeah. I mean, to be discouraged is, is to lose your courage, and it means to have your courage shattered in pieces. And, and that is what the enemy would love for us uh, to just sort of sit in that circumstance where we feel like our resolve, our will, and our courage is in pieces on the floor. So to gather mm. your courage is to gather yourself back together to say, and when the Bible says, when God says, be strong, be courageous, he doesn't ask us something that he doesn't also empower us to do and if there's ever a day that we need courage so we need to stay encouraged it's it's for sure right mm-hmm. now. now the way you laid this book out Susie, it's uh, 365 days so it's uh, got an entry for every day which is awesome yeah that yeah. was a labor of love i'll tell you i i, 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 I told my hubby i wanted to quit in leviticus because i was tired yeah, <laughs> but i'm so grateful i hung in there and got to the other side of it because to see the ark of scripture bill to see truly Era amnesia. You see it in the Old Testament where where we wander from God. We forget who we are. We forget who he is. We wander into sin. We suffer the consequences of that sin. We cry out to God for mercy. He comes in his mercy and redeems us. Mm-hmm. He blesses us. We make it about us, and then we wander again. That's That vicious cycle seems to happen, and I don't, I don't want us to forget who we are and who God is. You do such a gift for your readers, though, because you write in a concise way, yet each entry has got so much in it that you can spend the whole day chewing on it. Mm, So every uh, entry that I've been looking at and going over uh, is just so full of not only incredible 
illustrations, but truths and uh, things that we can uh, learn and flourish and pray. And I just love the format of this book. I'm so grateful. Yeah, and I, I mm. apparently, according to what I heard, that we've got a couple copies that we can give away. Yes. <clears throat> Tell me more, because I, right. don't, I don't even know. I think that your first run sold out instantly, didn't it? It did, yes. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. So three to five copies, and I want to say, thanks to Bethany House, it's a $20 book. It's hardcover, full-color pages. They did a gorgeous job putting together. You know, I fought for the content, and then they put it together in such a beautiful way. So thanks to Bethany House. Uh, they've got a few copies for your show today. So, but if I wanted to just go buy one today, I can't do that for a little while, can I? You can. I Amazon, can Amazon's got some good. It's awesome. all, It's out. It's released. Amazon's got a good a number of copies, and I believe Lifeway and CBD. The publisher doesn't have any more. We don't want you to go to our website either. But Amazon, you could get it tomorrow. But once those run out, whatever they purchased, the next shipment doesn't come till end of November. So if you do want it, it might be wise because there is a limited number out there. Once those are gone, we got to wait a couple months. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to tell a couple of stories from your book, Susie, Uh, I would love for you to do that now. All right. Well, one of my favorites I title, uh, The Importance of the Impossible. And I got to remember which day that is. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. But in that story, David goes to capture the city of Jebus. Let's see here. Yeah, it's day 89 if you want to follow along. Okay, let me Uh, get to 89. Yeah, day 89. The Importance of the Impossible. This is one of my favorites because for some reason when Joshua led the charge into the land of Canaan, they didn't conquer the city of Jebus, which was part of their promised land. So once David was crowned, king. That was one of the first orders of business for him. So he goes to Jebus and then the the guys at the guard, guarding the wall, were like, you will never get through these gates. You will never get through these gates. And yet the next word I absolutely love, it was nevertheless. Nevertheless, David broke through and he made the city his capital. And the reason that's so important, it's the city of David, it's Jerusalem, is because that is the birthplace of Christianity. That's where Jesus bled and died and rose again. It's where the gospel went out all over the the earth. And then we've got the new Jerusalem that we're looking forward to one day. That word nevertheless to me just reminded me that, you know what, your locked gates, the things that are standing in your way are nothing to God. And your breakthrough is never just about you. And I think if we can step out of the small story and, and, and not be overwhelmed by the obstacles that stand in our way, and consider that word, nevertheless, because we serve a nevertheless God. And our breakthroughs have historical implications. And if we could see that, I mean, David really couldn't know to what degree that breakthrough would mean to all of Christianity. And I would just submit that our story is always so much bigger than we think it is. And when we contend for our personal breakthroughs, they really do have kingdom big story implications. Mm -hmm. I love this line, may God open your eyes to see the significance and the importance of the impossible tasks before you. May mountains move, gates open, and waters part before you. That's pretty powerful. I think I wrote that down on a piece of paper and left it around the studio. <laughs> you didn't pick that up and put that in the book, did you? No, I promise you okay. I did not. It sounds like something I wrote. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, but, no. <laughs> but I think there's never been a time uh, more than even right now in the last six months where we need on a daily basis to get up and not only immerse ourselves in the mm-hmm. Word, but understand what the uh, tactics are of the enemy Amen. and how to stand up against it and prevail. I love that word. Yeah. I'm going to use that all day. I love it as well. Yeah. Can I share another one with you that I love? I hope we have time. Yeah. Looks like we do. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm a radio professional. You are so great. <laughs> anyway, this one is day 75. 
And this is the face-off at Mount Carmel where the, the false prophets are declaring that their small g God's going to come through for them. And, you know, Elijah sort of gets a little bit into mocking, going, okay, let's just see what you've got. Let's see what we've got. And I love the prayer. It's in First Kings 1837. Um, oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And if I could just read this and we can just talk about it. I wrote, Elijah asked God to show himself strong in Elijah's behalf, both to show that he was the one true God and to draw people back to himself. Oftentimes when we're in a predicament, we minimize it. We assume that since we're not facing down giants or evil kings, that God's intervention on our behalf won't be as significant. But did you know that others are watching your life from a distance? They know you profess Christ and they want to know how will you handle things when life pushes up against you. So what if you stood back, considered your observers and dared to pray Elijah's prayer? Father, this isn't just for me. It's for those who are watching me. I am your servant. Intervene in my life so that others may see that you are the one true God. Show yourself strong on my behalf because I belong to you. Draw others to you because of your very real power in my life. If you're in step with the Lord and obeying his word, you are on solid biblical ground to pray such a prayer. So the action step is pray audaciously today and tomorrow and the next because the God of heaven knows your name and he loves you profoundly so. And then the prayer is, God of heaven, show me how to pray big story prayers. I want my whole life to bear witness to your redeeming power. Stir up a fresh passion in my soul. Now, I love this one, Bill, because again, as you and I were talking, we need to be marked by power. If the power that rose Christ from the grave is alive and available to us, our lives need to be marked by power. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so many Christians right now are engaging culture apart from faith, apart from the power of God, apart from humility. Um, We just feel like gloves are off, all bets are off, and I can act any way I want because the times allow for it. But there have been more evil times than this, and there's never a justification for us to be behaving like the rest of the world because we are in a trying time. But what if we humbled ourselves and we interceded from that place and said, God, would you do such a miraculous work in my life that everybody who's watching me knows there's a God in heaven who knows my name, who means what he says and will answer prayers? What if other people started to engage in prayer because of your prayer life and because of your breakthroughs? I just think that our calls for it. That's very powerful. Susie, this is really amazing and outstanding work. We've got about, I think, five copies of the book. So if you want to get in on the drawing to uh, possibly get one of Susie's new books called Prevail, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll take a short break and be right back with Susie Larson. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Susie Larson in studio. We are talking about her new book, Prevail. She's got a nice note from a listener that said, just ordered Susie's book off Amazon. Way to go. Hmm. This is my lucky day, 20-year wedding anniversary. Wow. And Susie and Bill Arnold together on radio. Thank you for all you do. Hi, Rebecca. You are awesome, too. How sweet you, is that? You have great listeners. Oh, sir, they're the best. Yeah. Yeah. I should tell my listeners now I'm coming out with a new pamphlet in the next 10, <laughs> ten months. So you're not going to be the only one, Susie. You're going to have I, me on your show I, when I, I come totally out with am. my pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> you should be able to get that done in the next month. Right. It doesn't take you 10 months to write That's a pamphlet. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Um, every page in this book has got uh, credible wisdom and insight and solid biblical leading. So I'd love a couple of more, Susie. I know sure. you got... 
couple. Of yeah, you thank you so much. Again, so honored to be on your show talking about this book. It's very close to my heart, and that is what I was hoping. Just what you said was what I was hoping. Get people in the Word, but then have my short devotional pack a punch, because I, I don't like fluff. I want to go to the depths right away. And, and this one is titled Deal with the Disconnect, and it's day three. Ooh. And uh, hang on, let me get there. Yep, Genesis seventeen seventeen, and this is when you know God told Abram and Sarah that the generations would come through them. And I want you to imagine that you picture these reveal parties on Facebook when they blow the cannon and they see the confetti fly all over. I'm trying to picture these two, a hundred year old and ninety year old. You know, <laughs> guess what we're having? You know, uh, trying to just imagine this, so you can imagine what God's asking them to believe for is kind of crazy, right? And Genesis seventeen seventeen it says, Then Abraham bowed to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? And I'll just read this. God promised Abraham that the generations would come through Abraham and Sarah. And his response, he bowed low, but he laughed on the inside. So how often do we do the same? We sing about God's faithfulness, but do we really believe he'll do the impossible in our situation? When the gap widens between what our outward Christian actions reflect and what our inward beliefs reveal, we must make note of it, but without condemnation. We often arrive here because we're weary in the waiting or just tired from battle, but we must not allow the gap to linger within us for very long. Re-engage your faith today. Remember, God can do in a moment what takes us a lifetime to accomplish. And when faith awakens your heart and inspires your actions, well, that's the stuff of miracles. And what I want to say there, Bill, is... We, when we know our way around Christian lyrics and our, and our church and the Bible, we can go into autopilot cruise control so easy. And I've thought a lot about this. I've studied it in scripture. And what happens when you disengage your heart is you disengage your faith. So let's say you're singing the songs, but you're going through your grocery list in, the, in your mind, you know, or you're reading, skimming scripture, but your heart is a thousand miles away. We are more spiritual than we are physical because we're filled with the spirit of Christ. And when we disengage our heart and we're just going through the motions, literally nothing happens in the spiritual realm on our behalf. But when we engage our hearts to say, I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. When we engage our faith, that's the stuff of miracles. That's when God, he moves on our faith, not on our motions, going through the motions. So in this devotional, the action step is it's time to deal with the disconnect because God is better than we know and he's kinder than we can fathom. So remind your soul that nothing is impossible with him. Wrestle with God and contend for his promises until you believe them again because your faith is so precious to him. All right, Susie, I have to say recently I, I watched you pray a prayer for a person on their behalf and it was done in a very bold way. You spoke with great authority. You prayed in a way that seemed a little impossible in my head at the time. And yet I watched and witnessed you pray this uh, prayer with bold confidence. And then it happened. And I shouldn't act surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't act surprised, but Mm. you know how it is when Mm. you, you pray, you put it before the Lord and you trust the outcome. It's in his hands. But I remember at the time when you were praying it, it felt a little out there to me. Yeah. It was out there. I, okay, thank you. It was an 11th hour kind of... It was. And I will tell you, I want to be so careful because I, I don't subscribe to the prosperity theology and I don't subscribe to name it, claim it. I don't think for a moment that God is bound, um, that he's a means to an end. 
Mm -hmm. He's the beginning and the end, and he's Mm -hmm. not bound by our dictates. So that said, because there's been an extreme movement that makes it all about make my life as good as it can be on this earth versus suffering is part of the gospel. Sacrificial love is part of the gospel. I mean, Paul said, I die daily, that I grow deeper, and and death for me is resurrection for you. That's, to me, the gospel where you start to see when you're conformed to the image of Christ— that's when your life is marked by power. But given that, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and that plenty of scripture talk about when you are abiding in the word, when you abide in him and he abides in you, ask what you will. But I say when you're abiding in him, your heart beats in rhythm with him. And there's, I, I never want to presume upon God. So I'm not always praying like that. There's times where I'm submitting something, going, I need wisdom. I want this. I still don't discern what your will is, Lord, and I just say, may your will be done and, and change my heart in the process. But there are times when I know in my knower, I don't know how else to say it, that God has invited me to pray for the impossible. And I had a sense in my, deep in my spirit that there was going to be an 11th hour turnaround with that. And that's where I felt the invitation from God to believe him and to go out on a limb. And I know that I, w- I would look a little bit foolish but I felt it was what it was faith. It was what mm-hmm. God was asking of me. But that that's not how I live. Do you know what I'm saying? How mm-hmm. I live is with God. And when he gives me the invita- invitation to believe him, then I stand up and I stand on it. Yeah. Now, it was also you prayed in a very big way about two and a half months ago for our fall share. And you were praying in a way that I thought, that's a very ambitious prayer, Susie. <laughs> Um, it's such a loving way that he says it, isn't it, Rebecca? <laughs> and He's so kind. I love that you are speaking with such confidence and you, <laughs> you speak with authority and you are uh, committed, committing this to prayer and your prayer was huge. And then it turns out the results were huge. So... Mm-hmm. I learn a lot. Just hmm. I just observe Susie Larson. Wow. That's what yeah, I do. So, there's so much I still don't know, but what I do know, there's no substitute for God's presence, his power, and his promises. And as we walk intimately with him, I just I think you get the sense about what you can ask him for. I mean, when Peter said, bid me come, Lord, bid me come, he was saying, call me out of this this impossible situation that might kill me to a certain death. If it's not you, that's calling me, (laughs) call me out of the boat. Really think about that. But, but what he actually said was, he said, Lord bid me come. And uh, that is a command of a King. And what, what he, what, how that translates is Lord, I know what your voice sounds like. I know you rule the wind and the waves. And if you call me out, you will hold me up. And I just Mm -hmm. think as you walk intimately with God and you get to know his voice and you're immersed in his word, you get to know what he sounds like. And then you follow his lead and that is when you see stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I hear about your disciplines in the morning where you have a non-negotiable time with the Lord, I, I, then I read your book and I, and I understand why. I get, I get how they're connected. Mm-hmm. So talk about your, your quiet time in the morning. You know, I came into my marriage with a very passionate uh, intimate walk of faith. I wasn't raised in a mainstream evangelical home. And so I, I felt like a little bit of a covert Christian and just sort of learning my way. Like I was in on a technicality, you know, um, I didn't feel, I knew I was saved. I didn't know I was loved. Let's just put it that way. But as I came into marriage, I loved God so much and I just immersed myself in his word. But then we had babies right away. Then I got Lyme disease and our lives were just turned upside down. So I'm army crawling through young motherhood with probably on 20% strength as a young mom because of the disease with three little boys who are party waiting to happen. And my little quiet time was down to 10 minutes. And uh, I remember finding that verse in 1 John that says that if you pray God's will, you can know you'll have it. So I went, I took that before God and I just said, Lord, I know you want time with me. I want time with you. 
you know, your word says you make streams in the desert. That's contrary to nature. Well, quiet time with three little boys and a disease is contrary to nature. I can't make this happen. But I'm going to give you my 10 minutes like it's a tithe of my time. And I'm going to ask you today and tomorrow and the next day that you miraculously multiply it in this stage of life. Because I kept hearing leaders and mentors saying, you know, give yourself a pass when you have young kids. It's okay. I mean, he gently leads those with young. And Bible does say he is gracious and gentle. But I heard that give yourself a pass so much. And I just thought, I'm barely hanging on here. I've got a disease and little boys and we're going broke. I don't want to pass. I need his presence, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just grabbed onto that like a bulldog and just said, God, I'm going to give you 10 but I'm going to ask you to multiply it to 20, to 30, to 60. And I experienced literally a true blue miracle where my boys would just play quietly during that time over and over again. And I had a lot of storms since then, but that has become a non-negotiable. And I'm I'm only saying this because you asked me, but I I get a good two hours every morning where I have commentary, several Bibles, my journal, my worship playlist, and I just immerse myself. And it's the best part of my day. And I I won't bend on it. Because writing a, a daily devotional like this, would you call it a daily devotional? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is a tremendous amount of work. Indeed it is. And mm-hmm. it has to come from a place of mm-hmm. inspiration and uh, and deep prayer. You just don't get up and say, I'm going to just write a couple of uh, entries today. Yeah. It's got to come from a place of the Holy Spirit leading you. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, uh, what was really wonderful is I was able to go through my Bibles and look at all my handwritten notes in the margins for inspiration. And just my history with God helped me to write, to write the book, but thank you. It was a labor of love. I appreciate you saying that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And congratulations on, on the, the response you're getting from it. It's yeah. phenomenal. Thankful. And I'm just watching my ratings this half hour and they're spiking, <laughs> they're spiking, uh, quite high. And that's just, yeah. I assume, cause it's the great interview questions I'm asking. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it has nothing to do yeah. with you. I'm blown away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you learn something every day, don't you, Susie? You totally do. All right, so we've got a couple uh, copies, like four or five to give away, and you want to text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. We'll have a drawing, and hopefully you'll be one of the lucky ones to uh, win one of Susie's books. So uh, this is a gorgeous book. It really is. Mm. It's You hold this, and you think, I want to walk around with a cup of coffee and, and sit down and spend time with this. This is awesome. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really been great. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many books have you written now? I've uh, just finished number 17. That's a lot. I got a pamphlet coming out. <laughs> so you better get to work on that pamphlet. Bill. I know. Yes. I got to get right in that pamphlet. If I can help at all, I'd be so happy to. I'll run it by you. Okay. I'll run the pamphlet by you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Love Again, you, I, uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You know the drill. And we'll uh, have a drawing for Susie's book, Prevail. And if you want to race out and buy it tonight, you can certainly do that. Go to Amazon.com. And it's uh, Prevail by Susie Larson. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Jason Romano, former uh, ESPN uh, person. We'll be right back.
Thank you for listening to the Faith Radio Network, your home for relevant Bible preaching, family-focused teaching, and interactive talk shows and topics relating to your everyday life. We exist to lead people to Christ and to nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. We hope that you've been encouraged as you've listened and that you've found helpful resources through interviews, articles on our website, and more. To learn more, visit MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. things I love about live radio. I love that every once in a while you uh, find yourself uh, with a guest that says, I'm all scheduled to be on your program, and then they're nowhere to be found. Uh, And then on those days when you are wondering, okay, now what? Uh, The guest that's coming up on the next hour shows up a half hour early, and that's Dr. Peter Kaffner. (laughs) So go figure. I don't know how this stuff works sometimes. I I mean, I was so excited to, and hopefully we can still get in touch with them, because your next guest, I mean, I was half- in studio because I wanted to listen to this interview. I'm so excited about it. But you it. know, you know Jason or know of him, don't you? Of course. Oh yeah, huge ESPN fan. And so watching his work on SportsCenter, and, and when you texted me and said he's going to be on the program, I was so excited to hear his take on leadership and what he does. So it's uh, he's going to be an excellent guest. Well, I hope we can get him on. I hope we can uh, get a hold of him in the next few minutes because his book is called "The, the Uniform of Leadership: uh, Lessons on True Success for My ESPN Life." Wow, And he felt when he walked in the doors at ESPN for the first time that he was absolutely the biggest kid in the biggest candy store ever. He'd look around and see all these pro athletes that he had watched on TV. Right. And all of a sudden, he's kind of bumping elbows with them. Right, right. I mean, and those guys really do at the ESPN level. I mean, I've talked about it before, but I had a chance to cover the NBA with uh, with NBA.com. So I've been in the locker rooms and stuff, but I was just a peon reporter. Right. Like, I, you know, I didn't have the kind of access. I was certainly there. I could ask questions. I often didn't because I, I just felt like, what am I going to say compared to these big name ESPN people? But they do, they actually form friendships with the athletes. And, and if they do a good enough job of asking fair enough kinds of questions, they really do, they're, they're the go-to people for these uh, really mega superstars that we see. And uh, and they're often, reporters behind the scenes are often really good people as well. And so Jason would have been among that class yeah. of people, right? That I think he's going to have so much to say. Well, and then when he got to ESPN, it was a matter of a couple of weeks when he had an offer to produce the Mike and Mike show. Wow. And that's like the big one, isn't that it? That is, 18 years, those two had a, a, just a phenomenal run. That was such enjoyable radio to listen because you could tell they enjoyed each other, right? And they both oh, came yeah. from different angles, but they were sort of the pinnacle uh, of sports radio for sure. That morning show was off the hook. And J- Jason was the one that was booking all the guests. Right. And how fun would that I mean, have been? Right? So you I mean, right? I mean, you're talking to their people. <laughs> but still. I mean, you don't I, have I, LeBron's home number. <laughs> Right. But at some point, you know, Tom Brady moves from his people to on the line and Jason is going to be the person who's able to screen that. And that was the caliber of guests that they had uh, sort of show in and show out. So, yeah, you know, you, you get at that sort of level of fame. And the other thing I think you, you see, Bill, is that they are at the end of the day, just pretty regular people. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, there is an error about them, I suppose. There is a there's a confidence level often about uh, people that are just so in the spotlight all the time. But they have the same sort of human concerns. They have the same sort of um, wonderings about their future. 
they have the, the same sort of family and relational concerns. You get in those locker rooms and you, you can actually see the athletes that really love and enjoy their families. And somewhere there's maybe a little bit of tension and coldness in the locker rooms. And, and, and you see them for who they are. And, and I suspect many visible leaders, whether they be church leaders, whether they be politicians or major business leaders like the Elon, Elon Musk of the world mm-hmm. and these athletes, at the end of the day, you sort of get them out of the spotlight. And, uh, and they really are pretty regular people. Yeah. Now, we just had the passing of Gail Sayers um, yesterday. And, of course, he was the uh, American uh, great fo- football player. Chicago which, Bears, Chicago right? Bears, yeah. yeah. And, of course, the, the movie um, Brian Song. Mm. Uh, of course, who, who can get through that without sobbing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I, what a phenomenal athlete he was. And, I mean, and, and the Bears have had a run of him with Walter Payton, obviously, too. And he mm-hmm. died at a very young age. And so two of the most historic figures within that organization is mm-hmm. passing in the last 10 yeah. or so years. Peter, are you, are you seeing an uptick in, in, in athletes on television uh, apparently giving praise to God? Do you see that? Does that appear to be more? Do you find it to be... Uh, um, genuine or a little bit showy or what, what's your read on that when they, yeah. when they point up like, you know, God help me make this home run. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. It's a good question. I, I don't know if I would say that I've noticed an uptick, but in fairness, I haven't watched a ton okay. of sports in these last six months. I've really enjoyed watching golf for some reason among the different sports, but, but I will say that again, a lot of athletes from my time uh, covering some of the different uh, sporting events, you know, what am I going to say, right? I, I don't know what's going on in their interior world of faith, but I, but I want to say that you can kind of tell a difference when there's a real, a true Christian athlete. They carry themselves differently. They talk to you differently. They mm-hmm. look you in the eye differently. There's a piece about them differently. Um, and, and they're often maybe not the people that are the most showiest when something does uh, happen that is to their positive and to their benefit. Uh, but there was a, a fair number of athletes that were Christians that I was surprised at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I mean, I've often thought what a good radio show it would be to have some sort of uh, faith and sports segment because I think we would all be surprised. Kind of like we're having now. Well, exactly. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, but I think we'd be surprised at the, at the number of co- coaches, the number of big time athletes and the number of players and staff and administration that really are believers in these locker rooms. And, and some of them really get... Uh, a lot of bad press uh, for reasons that are probably unfair to them at times because there's a lot of good people. There are bad eggs, of course, too. But it's almost always the bad egg that gets the news coverage and then you sort of assume, oh, gosh, you know, they're all sort of pampered or they're bullies or whatever it is. And and most of them are really good people and and they were a lot of believers. We look at a guy like Tim Tebow, who is about as good of an athlete as as you're going to find and with a a great uh, faith and a willingness to share it with anyone and everyone and yet he gets a lot of ridicule and persecution, but I, you know, I'm sure he's used to it. Yeah, that is one of the unfortunate pieces, isn't it? And, and I know that there's a movie coming out uh, this fall, from what I understand, or is it the spring? Something that, that really reviles Christianity in some really um, horrible ways. You, you sent me and some of the guys on Guy Talk the name of this movie, and it really tears apart Christianity. That's oh, terrible. Yeah, there, there really can be a viciousness associated with people who really are anti-faith. And Tebow, boy, did he catch that because he was very vocal about his faith. And he, again, is about as genuine as you can be related to his faith. But you can take a political position and and have a lot of viciousness associated with that position. But but I will maintain, Bill, that there is a, a special and specific viciousness related to those people who are Christians versus somebody taking maybe an unpopular political point of view. Mm-hmm. The, the Christian point of view... I, you know, I don't know how always to read the spiritual realm, but I would suggest 
that there are things going on in the spiritual realm that are, are distinctly and uniquely vicious towards Christianity. And, and athletes definitely will take their share when they go public with it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this film is a Netflix film, the one you're, we're talking oh, about. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, my wingman Terry sent me this article. He did? I don't know if you knew this. Yeah, but okay. he sent it to me, and it's, it's a... Uh, it's a pretty star-studded uh, movie, and, it, and the film portrays Christianity as a dangerous cult. Mm. Um, and it says that it's um, uh, nearly all characters in, you're going to love the title of this, the devil all the time. Wow. Profess fervent evangelical faith that leads them to murder, torture, child molestation, animal, animal crucifixion, and other horrors. It's just horrible. I mean, what what kind of betrayal of Christianity? You and I have been around oh, the no. Christian world for a lot of years. I can't... Out of that list that you described, I mean, there certainly have been really difficult stories, especially related to that word molestation that you use. But but what was characterized there is completely foreign it's just to vile. even the worst Christian experiences that that have had at times. Right. When you start talking about animal sacrifice and some of these other things, that is such an unfair portrayal, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. When you talk to students and they come to you with their career uh, desires, how do you counsel them? Because I think it's important that people uh, in all walks of faith get involved in uh, media and athletics and education. Uh, we need to get involved in everything. We do. And be sure. examples and, and salt and light in the world. Yeah. One of the classes that I'm teaching right now is a class in which they they take their faith and, and they, they look through the scriptures, they look through historical theologians, they look through um, different human experiences, and then they think about how do I think about these things in light of my vocation, whatever it is, to answer your question. And so many of them come back and say, how can I be an ambassador of God's kingdom in whatever vocation in which I find myself? And different vocations require different things. I mean, if you're a teacher, uh, I know many teachers, and they feel very constrained by what they can say about their faith publicly in the classroom, but they can still express that faith differently, and they, and they can pray for their students. Um, and, and sometimes students, if they come to them privately, they are able to share some things along those lines. If you are a business leader, you might be able to set an environment that you can't discriminate against people who are non-Christians, but you can sort of encourage uh, some of your Christian people in your organization to take places of leadership. So there's, it depends on the vocation, right? Mm-hmm. But, but all of them are wondering in light of their papers that they're writing, how can I be an ambassador of reconciliation in this context of my vocation? Because my actual vocation is that, an ambassador of reconciliation to bring uh, Jesus's life into the world and the gospel into the world but it's going to take on a different form in different circumstances. Interestingly enough, athletes have probably uh, the least barriers to doing that. They have massive social platforms, right? And, mm-hmm. and there is usually team guidelines and team policies uh, are pretty lax in terms of what they can share on their social media platform. So an athlete has a great opportunity to be an ambassador given their, their popularity within the platform and, and the rules with that they can share just about anything. Mm-hmm. So if we get back to our, our sports chat which I think is going quite well. Uh, my <laughs> Maybe not as good as Jason Romano. Well, definitely not as good as Jason right. Romano, right. but his agent uh, apologized profusely uh, for his absence. Mm. So I'm wondering what your take is, Peter, on the way sports is getting to be a little bit more complicated. I used to go watch sports to get away from the troubles of the day and, and, the, and the political stuff, and that was the place he went and just went, yeah. ah, baseball game, this is going to be fun, or a football game. And now politics and everything else start to creep into the into the games. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a tricky subject these days, isn't it? Oh, but, I agree. You know, but it's interesting when you look, you have to be able to explain somehow. Like anytime you're looking at something just objectively, like take whatever your view is out of the situation, try to step back, look at it objectively, 
And, and what you see is that the ratings for golf were well up. The ratings mm. for NASCAR were well up. The ratings for baseball were well up. And uh, none of them really had very explicit social justice messages, sort of the Black Lives mm. Matter and some of the different things going on. Baseball did a little bit, but baseball games are like 19 hours long. So you sort of forget <laughs> about it, right? And by, right. by the third inning and you're right. 100 pitches in. Um, basketball, by contrast, it, they really, and, and you know me, I'm a NBA junkie to the core. Yeah, I, I have loved the NBA over all of these years. And when, when you turn it on and it's sort of in your face all the time where they have painted different logos on the floor and, and when it's... Uh, replace the names of the players on the back of the uniform. And I remember I was watching a Miami Heat game, and it was one of, I think it was Game 6 or Game 7 in their most recent series, and there was a, a young rookie that I didn't know who it was, and, and he was playing so well in the fourth quarter. And I was just like, who is this kid? And every time I tried to look at the back of his jersey, I couldn't get his name because there was a slogan, a slogan there mm, instead. Interesting. And, and I will say for me, who tries to be as fair-minded as I can be about certain situations, um, I grew a little weary, I, I will say, of just feeling like there needed to be a message that I needed to pay attention to when I was there to watch the NBA. Now, we can have a separate conversation about um, all of these things around social justice, and, and I think we need to have those conversations. But the NBA ratings were well down compared to NASCAR and golf and baseball. And it, it, I think just from an objective point of view, if you ask the question why, especially since NBA was beginning to rival the popularity of the NFL by all metrics, even around the globe, and when ratings are, ratings are tanking in the way that they were, I don't think I was alone in just saying, hmm, do we really need this as part of our NBA experience right now? Could, could an athlete just not use their social media platform to express their views? Why do we have to have a league-wide almost mandate well, that, that is, for, is almost trying to suggest you need to think this way if you want to continue to support the NBA? I don't care what your platform is. I think anything like that is going to turn people off. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. We're having a little sports chat. Probably the one and only sports chat we'll have. <laughs> yeah, once a year. <laughs> once a year. I think that's plenty. But I think it is. Yeah. If you have a, a question about uh, sports and uh, the, the faith life or just sports, you can text us, 877-933-2484. Between the two of us, we know very little, but we'd love to hear your question. 877-933-2484. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. And, of course, he's going to be joining me at the 5 o'clock uh, hour because we're going to have our Salvation Series continue. We're into the fall now. Our Summer Salvation Series is now extended into the fall. And Dr. David Clark will be our esteemed guest. It's going to be a great hour coming up. But for now, we'll take a break and be right back. All right, athletes and faith is kind of an interesting topic. Uh, Dr. Peter Kaffner is with me. Aaron Rodgers came out and said that he, uh, you know, he wanted to try to figure out what he wanted to believe in. Yeah. While bemoaning rules and regulations. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting way to use his platform, wasn't it? Well, it really was. And it, it shows that theology matters. Oh, it does. At the end of the day, it really does. And, and uh, you know, I, on one level, I can sympathize with Aaron Rodgers because I don't think he's alone. Like, I, I, I don't know entirely what he's gone through, obviously. But I, I did just uh, right after class yesterday, a student walked out with me and, and, uh, and was just talking and talking and talking about her experience and, and background and faith. And I think feeling like at times she didn't know if she could fit in 
because there seemed to be both a set of written rules and unwritten rules by which she had to live in whatever faith community. And I don't know what faith community she was a part of, but, but I think sometimes when Christianity gets reduced down to a series of unwritten and written rules that mm-hmm. are sort of meant to govern your behavior, it, it can uh, maybe become a little bit hollow at, at times. And, and I'm, I don't know what Aaron Rodgers would have experienced, but I think unfortunately, instead of you know staying within the river of Christianity and exploring, oh, what am I missing here within the beauty and wonder of our faith, people then immediately reject Christianity. And I think that's the big thing that's at risk. And, and it seemed like Rogers was doing that. He wrote that I had some friend, good friendships along the way to help me figure out exactly what I wanted to believe in. Mm. Isn't that kind of an odd statement? That is an odd statement. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't like rules and regulations, because he clearly didn't, I always want to ask, well, what are the rules and regulations that you're uh, so offended by, and why are they there in the first place? You know that old saying, if you see a fence, ask, why is the fence there? Right. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's a fair point. And I think, again, if we, if we perceive of God as sort of this um, being in the sky that's there to kill our joy through a bunch of rules and regulations, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm going to put some boundaries around mm-hmm. the situation, because you probably don't always know what you're messing with if you decide to step that direction or move in that way or act in that way. And so these rules are here for your good, not because I'm trying to hold something against you or hold you to task or whatever. It's simply, I want to create the kind of environment that parents do with young kids. I mean, there's boundaries for kids for a reason. You want to create an environment that they can be safe, that they can experience the joy and the wonder and the laughter and the freedom. Kids without boundaries are almost always kids struggling with anxiety and depression. I know, and I can't think of any other group of people other than athletes that want rules more than athletes. Right. You don't want to play a pickup basketball game unless there are rules. Well, exactly. And you, and you don't see somebody that gets just you know mauled by the defender trying to catch <laughs> a pass yeah. and say, oh, thanks, I'm glad that you hit me yeah. before the ball get, you know, yeah. got here. I mean, if so. it's pass interference and Rodgers threw the pass and it's pass interference and in the— in the and the ref said, eh, I don't know about that. Let's, not, <laughs> let's abandon that rule in that occasion. He, he would throw a fit. He absolutely would throw a fit, and understandably so. You know, you, you have to have rules by which you play. Otherwise, it's just if it's, it just becomes anarchy at that point. Mm-hmm. When you're uh, thinking of everything that's handed to an athlete at that level, I mean, I remember talking to some uh, friends who played professional football, and they were playing in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And they played professionally in their first four years. A friend of mine said, my first four years in the, in the, in the NFL as a starting defensive linebacker was 22,000, 24,000, 26,000, and 28,000. That was my first four years. Wow. And all those guys had jobs in the summer. Yeah, they did, Everyone didn't they? sold cars or sold insurance or did something because yeah. you couldn't. You couldn't live on your pro football salary. Yeah, no, it was almost a little bit more of a hobby. And they, and they also, too, Bill, they were much more a, a part of the fabric of the community. Yes, they were. In, in which they, and, and so they were known. I mean, I remember growing up, and, and uh, one of the Minnesota Vikings went to the church that I grew up with, and it was just a common practice for him to go over to different families and, and have afternoon Sunday afternoon lunch. And but he wasn't seen as sort of this, you know, we weren't all starry eyed around him when he when he would sit at our parents dinner table. I was like, well, that's cool that you play for the Vikings. But I'm sure he was doing other things to your point. But I I look back at those Minnesota Twins teams in 1987 time, you know, Kirby Puckett and Kent Herbeck and Gary Gaddy and these names from all these years ago, they were absolutely involved in the, in the community. I mean, Kent Herbeck was still selling air conditioners, I think, (laughs) during during that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that. Exactly. I mean, my dad had some friends, and one of his friends was Tommy Mason. He was at the house once. Wow. You know, he played for the Vikings and the yeah. Rams and the, and the Redskins. And, there, and it just, we weren't so fussed back then about the whole thing. I mean, it was really fun to cheer on our people, but it, it's also too, Bill, when I, when I see the next generation uh, of athletes coming through, there really isn't a loyalty to a city anymore. There's a loyalty to a brand. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're creating a personal brand. and, yeah, and so a platform. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was wondering for a while, why did LeBron James and Anthony Davis and some of these big NBA names, why do they feel such freedom to just move from team to team to team to team to team? And I didn't realize that uh, with the NBA having become such a global game that they were uh, ch- people in China are watching the NBA by the billions. I know, right? It's crazy, and and uh, and they don't care if LeBron James is playing for Cleveland, no, or they, or Miami Heat no. or Los Angeles. They care about LeBron James, and and so all of the money is coming from overseas sources where there's no loyalty to the city, and now you just have these individualized brands of players, and they're actually taught and trained how to help manage their brand out in public. And and that's part of why they're chasing all these championships in these different sports is it helps their brand. It's no longer about the city and the connection between the city and the athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, there really is that brand that's there. But Patrick Mahomes signs a contract for $500 million. I can't even get my head around that. I can't either. $500 million. $500 million to play football for, what, 12 years, 13 yeah. years? I mean, and what did you say, 22000 24000 What was the salary? The, four, the first four years, 22, 24, 26, 28. I mean, my math's not great, but that sounds like about $100,000 yeah. over four for, for years. Four and four you years. said $500 million? $500 million. Yeah, so uh, why would you not want to be in charge of your life and... You know, your authority is going to be you when you got $500 million. Yeah, boy, I mean, It's oh going to be a little bit tougher to follow and come under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, I think that's a really fair point. I mean, right, unless you get knocked off your horse like Paul did on his way to Damascus, yeah. you know, he, he had, by, by the metrics of that day, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, maybe the, one of the most respected teachers of the law in all of Israel. And, uh, and he needed to be knocked off his horse. And, and he was on the way to Damascus. And, and that woke him up. And, and, and it dropped the scales of blindness from his eyes about what he thought was important. And, and I think, I'm sure there's many listeners that maybe not in a professional athlete field, but can resonate with that story of having a lot of early success in life and climbing ladders, whatever those ladders are. I don't know of any way to really get off that ladder unless you really get knocked off that ladder by something in life, whether it's an illness, whether it's a relational breakup of some kind, or just an utter failure. It's it's otherwise it's pretty heady stuff. Can you imagine it? Well, I don't know what Mahomes is, but he can't be much more than twenty four years old. I think he's fi- twenty. Yeah, twenty four. Yeah, five hundred million dollars. Yeah, play football. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's yeah. great that he is that good, but it's also disturbing that that amount of money is being handed to a twenty four year old kid. Yeah, and what we value. Think. I mean, I I can't even get my head around what ministries, what situations, what people, like $500 million, again, it seems like a lot. I don't know if we could fill this room with $500 million, I bet uh, it would be even more than we can possibly imagine. I can't, my my mind can't get my head around it, but to pay one person for the purpose of entertainment that amount of money when there's so much, you know, I don't want to be cliche and and, and trite about it, but there legitimately is so much need in the world, but it does speak about where our values are, that there's even the possibility of enough revenue being generated by viewers that one person in one sport can get $500 million. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. When I think of some of those uh, early Vikings games that I attended as a kid and you see some of those players, I remember running in uh, to... Bill Brown at, at the gym. Wow. He was a, a, obviously he has had a lot of physical issues, but he was one of the great greats yeah, of the Minnesota yeah, yeah. Vikings legacy. You know, boom, boom, Brown, right? <laughs> right. Um, he was just the, the, the symbol and the epitome of strength and he could do it all, right? Right. So now, it, uh, you know, fast forward all these years towards the end of his life and he is, you know, at the gym with a personal trainer trying to get a little bit of help. And he's sitting in a chair, and then they they get he gets up from the chair to do this little exercise, mm. and he had just street clothes on. He didn't even have gym clothes on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I thought to this trainer, "Do you do you know who you're training?" Mm. 
That's Bill Brown. I mean, amazing. <laughs> and how, and how, uh, how old would you say he was at that point? Well, it was, I probably saw him eight or 10 years ago. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how old he was when he died, um, but I think he, he was in his 80s, I think, when he Yeah, went. I saw some kind of stat about the life yeah. expectancy of professional football players. It's, it's usually dramatically yeah. decreased, at least their quality of yeah. life is in particular. Yeah. So I thought about those people you referenced that made $100,000 in four years as an NFL lineman and, and maybe what that cost them right. later in life. And, and uh, it, there, there is a cost to it, of course, um, all that fame. And, and the other thing I think, Bill, too, that fame is, is something that a lot of people would like to have, but it's amazing how quickly you're forgotten. And so, you know, Boom Boom Brown is in an in a anonymous gym somewhere just trying to take a right. couple more steps right. and how quickly it's all forgotten. Right, and how you have uh, so much uh, stock in your, in your physique and your athletic ability, and then one day it all sort of goes away and people don't talk to you very much the way they used to. You know, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care as much. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I think about that often about... Uh, in my teaching life that I really enjoy teaching these young people on the other side of the street here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And I'm also mindful because I've seen it happen so often that if something was to happen to me, uh, that there would hopefully be some sort of thank you on the website, uh, you know, for a day, but, but the institution would spin on as it should. But um, how many things can be considered vanity, vanity, all is vanity if we don't really... Um, fix our eyes on those things that matter. And, and again, at the risk of being cliche and trite, there is only one eternal kingdom towards which we should fix our eyes. And, and mm-hmm. uh, we can be excited to watch our athletes and, and have some fun on a weekend uh, cheering them on and everything. But at the end of the day, the only value is, exists in the kingdom. Yeah, that wraps up our episode of Sports Talk with Peter Kapsner. We will resume this in uh, 12 short months. So, <laughs> <laughs> Peter, thanks. Thanks Absolutely. for being here. And you'll be with me here coming up in our next hour. We're going to do our Salvation Series. So get out your Bibles, get out your notebooks. Dr. David Clark's going to be our special guest today. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.